0: Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway
1: and I'm Cameron Conway
0: and this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway and today we are very excited. We have our first ever special guest, author Robin Tobe, who has written The Wisest Investment. Now, this is a book that I've read. I loved it. And that's why she's here on the show. It's uh, tailored to your kids, but there's actually quite a bit in there for you as well as a parent. So Robin, why don't you just introduce yourself or let our listeners know kind of who you are, your background in writing this book, and we'll take it from there.
1: I will. Thank you very much, Christine. So I, my name is Robin Tobe. I am from Toronto and I am a CPA. So I like to say that I'm not your typical accountant because today I'm a speaker and the author of this book, The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent and Money Smart for Life. Uh, I did work for many years uh, in accounting firms. I worked in investment banking at Citibank Canada and derivatives marketing. But for the last, gosh, my goodness, like a long, long time, decades, I have been in this personal finance and financial literacy world. And it started out, I was writing content for the Ontario Securities Commission's website, uh, Get Smarter About Money, and it evolved from there and eventually I wrote this book or an earlier version of this book because CPA Canada, the governing body of accountants in Canada, felt they had done research and they just wanted to do something to help parents who are really struggling with this issue of how to teach their kids about money.
0: Oh, definitely. And I mean, that's a great background. So Robin has all the skills and the tools above and beyond really what you need to teach kids about money, but it's great to have that depth of knowledge that can be really condensed down into something that's easy for kids to understand. So before we get to kind of talking about the practical application for your kids, I do want to say like, there's a lot in there for the parents. So what would you say to a parent Mm -hmm. who feels like, you know, I really don't have it all together. Maybe I've got debt. I'm struggling to pay my bills. I want to be this good example to my kids, but I feel like I'm falling short. Can your book help me before I open that conversation to the kids?
1: I want to reassure parents that yes, they can. And I know that this is hard for people that feel like They're not good with money themselves, or they don't have the time to teach their kids. Um, Going back to the the origins, like CPA Canada did research that found that 78% of parents had tried to teach their kids about money, but more than two-thirds didn't feel they'd been very successful at it, and more than half didn't even know what information they needed. So I've tried to write this book and structure it in a way that parents and kids can learn together. even if you feel like you're not the perfect role model yet, there's opportunity to get better and for you to learn along with your kids. And, you know, there is value as well when you're teaching someone else, you do end up learning it yourself. And and also that um, one of my key strategies is to try and get your own financial house in order so that you can lead by example and be a good financial role model. So the book starts off, with ways to help parents do just that.
0: Well, and that's kind of what surprised me when I picked it up. It really is getting the financial house in order for the whole household first Mm -hmm. before it kind of extends. And I think one of the big things here is money is really a taboo subject for a lot of people. It shouldn't be in this day and age, let's be honest. But I Mm -hmm. think there is still a bit of a lack of a comfort level there Or maybe more of a willingness to defer it to the school systems where, you know, this is not by any means a teacher problem, but sometimes there's a curriculum problem where maybe all of the information that is crucial to become a successful adult is not included. So I don't know if you have some thoughts about that as well. Yes, definitely. Well, on the issue of
1: um, teaching it in school, I'll start with the last point you made. Um, There is much more effort and evidence that it is being taught in schools across the country. Um, We actually created a map of Canada that shows all the different personal finance courses across all provinces and territories, some of which are mandatory, some of which are uh, electives, but just it is out there in the school system. But still, a lot of research shows that kids want their parents to teach them about money. They want them to be good financial role models. And a lot of people do feel that parents still have the most responsibility for teaching their kids. I mean, I think one of the problems is there's curriculum overload in, in schools. Like you said, so many things need to be taught before they graduate, um, you know, to go on to work or higher education. So this always got squeezed out. I mean, now it's been integrated into the curriculum. It's also being taught as standalone courses, but um, it's just, it's a pretty cluttered curriculum or, you know, like already. So it's, it just, it doesn't always get taught well, especially if the teacher is not comfortable with it either. In terms of it being taboo, it still is. It's probably one of the last taboos. I always joke around, you know, would you rather talk to your kids about sex or money? You know, it's just one of those areas where parents know they're going to get uncomfortable questions from their kids. And, you know, you, your kids do deserve an honest answer. So I think, yeah, par- parents do avoid it, uh, especially when they're busy, um, because I think they're not sure how to answer these awkward questions. They don't feel like they are they have the knowledge themselves or they feel maybe hypocritical if they're not doing a good job.
0: So it's sensitive. Definitely. Well, and I think like you said, money has a way of kind of making you feel stripped down to your bare bones, right? To a certain extent, Mm -hmm. because it really is we as a society kind of use it as a measure. How good are you doing? How are you not? But um, for kids, just making sure that they have those tools in place. It's so important because as parents, my goodness, we want them to have that right leg up as they go into their, their adult life and their working career. So before we move on, just quick tips to parents, if you could kind of summarize your top tips of maybe what they can do from like work ethic or teachable moments, things like that. Um, Yeah, what they can do for their kids at home, because I agree, we love our school systems. You know, Canada, we're very, very lucky here to have everything as we do. But of course, there's always room for our ability to take it to the next level in our private conversations. So quick t- to parents, and then we'll move on to to kind of the meat and potatoes of what you recommend for our kids.
1: So I I break it down into these three strategies for parents. So the first one is to think about your personal values, the things in life that are most important to you and that you're willing to take a stand for. And use those values as an invisible framework to help guide and prioritize financial decisions and set meaningful goals. That's the first way that parent first strategy parents can use to to teach their kids. So keeping your values top of mind. The second is to look for teachable moments. You brought you mentioned this, Christine, and those are opportunities that will crop up in your day to day lives to talk about money and to to build in a little money lesson, because we're constantly spending, saving, we're, we're interacting with money all the time on a daily basis, whether it's in real life or virtually. So there's always going to be an opportunity to just explain to your kids what, what you're doing. They may ask you to explain something like, what's the difference between a debit and a credit card? Or you may find that you're doing something like filing your taxes, where you feel like, oh, this is a good t- Opportunity to explain, you know, what income tax is and what it what it's used for in Canada. And then this the third strategy is the one we already touched on, which is to be a good financial role model and lead by example, um, because you are a really important role model for your kids in in every aspect of your life, especially with money. And our kids are aware of both the good and the bad money habits in the home and they're watching, and they're listening, and they're learning from us. So it's really important to try to get your own financial house in order so you can lead by example. So those are the three main tips for parents.
0: That's perfect. Yeah, I think that's going to be very helpful for parents as they kind of take an assessment of how their own modeling shapes up. And I know that on your website, you have some tools for that as well. So Robin has come up with assessment tools and other tools as well, including her newsletter, where she shares great tips about how to do this in a very practical way. Now, let's get into kind of my favorite part, which is Not only does Robin have kind of a five pillars, it's called simple five pillars of money that are Mm -hmm. earn, save, spend, share, and invest, she also breaks them down by age group, which I think was a very smart decision because kids at different ages as they're developing are going to have... Different limitations to what they'll understand and their ability to grasp the concept and apply it. Really, you don't kind of just want to be talking. You want them to, oh, yeah, I've got it here. So, Robin, why don't you take us through the five pillars of money first? And then we can mm-hmm. get into a little bit of how you break it down by age category. Right.
1: So, the five pillars, just to repeat, are earn because first you have to earn money before you have a choice about what you can do with it. But once you earn it, then you can decide to either save it, spend it, share it, or invest it for the long term. So, I think when I came up with this structure way back when, the idea was that I mean, I have I didn't mention this, but I you did. I do have two kids myself. Uh, They're now young adults. My son Justin's 28. My daughter Natalie's 26. But when I was writing this book and I was thinking about what I'd gone through with them as a parent. And being an accountant and everything, and, and how, what's the best way to structure this and break it down? I thought about the different stages of childhood that they had been through. Like, you know, first, your kids are young kids, you know, five to eight, roughly. And then they become preteens. That's a whole other stage, you know, when they're nine to 12. The teenage years, as everybody infamously knows, are a whole other set of issues, financially and for parents. You know, that's sort of uh, 14 to 17. And then your kids become emerging adults. So they're just kind of on the cusp of becoming independent. So That's 18 and over. And I thought, well, these five pillars, earn, save, spend, share, and invest never change. But what your kids are going to care about at each of those stages well and what they can understand and what's going to be meaningful to them in their day-to-day lives. So I wanted to find very specific topics and examples within each of those five pillars for each of those different ages. And I think with the book, you can pick up the chapter that your child is at now and just focus on that stage. Or you could jump ahead and see what's coming down the road. But if you're trying to figure out, well, you know, how do I build a money lesson into our day-to-day lives? There's always going to be something under one of those five pillars for the stage your child is at that's going to ha- be happening in your lives. So tried to make it really practical.
0: Well, and I think that's the key, right? That's what people want, tips that work now and not just open mm-hmm. concepts that you kind of have to massage yourself and figure out how to put it together. So, I mean, our kids are a little young. We've got a nine-month-old and yeah. a two-year-old. Uh, they're not yet at the point. I mean, what are we playing with right now? Ghost spider is not exactly a, a money toy, but um, but let's go <laughs> to ages five to eight. So that was kind of the first category. And I'm, I'm assuming you're targeting five because at that point, the understanding is there for these basic concepts. So when I was reading through this, I mean, you had an example in there where you were talking about coins and barter mm-hmm. and these these systems where you can actually show a child, here's a dollar. And one of the examples that I'd read in your book, you were saying, okay, here's an apple, it costs $1. Here's an ice cream cone, it costs three. So three loonies, you can kind of line them up beside each other. I mean, I'd personally still rather have the ice cream and so would my two-year-old. But (laughs) at least they can kind of see that different items have different values. And I think just understanding that an exchange is taking place at at any point that we really want to acquire something that we don't have is a pretty important concept. So I don't know if you want to talk about that further or if you want to go into things like, uh, allowances, um, you had a, another example here. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more here. The sure. multi-slotted piggy bank. I like yeah. that, too, because it's so lined up with the earn, save, spend, share, and invest, right? So maybe mm-hmm. you can speak to that a little bit first, and then we can talk about allowances.
1: I will. And I'll tie this into a larger issue, which I hear from parents, is how do I teach my kids about money in an increasingly cash-free world? Right, like cash is disappearing. It was happening before COVID, and then COVID really accelerated it. And we went so digital in day-to-day lives. So how do we teach young kids about money? Well, I think it still does start with cash because, like you just described, Christine, being able to play counting games with bills and coins, lining up three loonies or a toonie and a loonie, and showing that that's really the same thing, or you know, uh, twelve orders, like whatever it is, you can, it's so easy. It's so tactile and concrete and easy for a young kid to understand. And so I still, I think that's a really important um, thing for parents to keep in mind because it, at this stage they're just too young to understand conceptual things like tapping and debit and credit and all that. So starting with coins and bills. And then again, this, and I'll show you, we can see each other, this multi slotted piggy bank, really makes those spending choices real for kids with, you know, who are getting a cash allowance, young kids.
0: Oh, that's really cool.
1: Sorry. It's clear. Yeah. You can buy it at Mastermind online and there's a link to it on my website, but it just basically slots the coin into a very separated um, slot for save, spend, donate, and invest. And it just teaches even young kids that there are different things you can do with your money and it just makes it like really visible.
0: That's great. So, what Robin showed me, it's nice. It's very attractive. It's bright red, which I mean, what kid doesn't like mm-hmm. a brightly colored object shaped like a pig? <laughs> and uh, it does. It has the words kind of written in and, and a little entry point for each of, of the words there. So, a very visual representation of a concept. So, that's pretty cool there. Exactly. too. So, for our five to eight year olds, what do you feel about allowances? Is that too young? Do you think that's something you should be starting at that point in time?
1: Yes. Yeah, so this is always a topic that comes up in every interview, every podcast, because parents feel like they need guidance. And I don't think it's too young. So the whole idea with allowance is um, well, I think it gives your kids experience around making these choices with money, uh, because money is a finite resource. And you want them to understand that once they choose to do something with it, you know, once you spend it or once you especially spend it, you know, it's gone forever. So allowance, whether it's payment for tours or a money management tool or some kind of hybrid solution of both of those two things, it gives your kids the opportunity to make these choices and live with the consequences. So it's just you just want to at it as early age as possible, give them some of their own money. Cause kids will always find it easy to spend your money, <laughs> even if you've given it to them as an allowance, but much harder to spend their own. Like when they have some ownership and responsibility around it, like they will think longer and harder about whether they want something, like whether they, you know, they really want it or it's, it would just be nice to have as like a fleeting passing thing. So starting that early and then, you know, as they get older, we can talk about how the allowance evolves. But I think yeah and and at this age a rule of thumb like a dollar or 50 cents per year of age. So a 7-year-old would get 350 to 7 dollars per week depending on your means, your values around all this, but just kind of like a nice rule of thumb at this stage.
0: Sure. And where do you stand on advocating between chores and responsibility in the home versus just giving them allowance as part of the family as a family member?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, this is where allowance gets to be a little bit controversial, so to speak. But I think a lot of parents, and I agree, feel that they want their kids to pull their weight around the house and and do their chores out of a sense of family responsibility. And I also think that many parents like myself want their kids to know what it takes to earn money because it's hard and it's way easier just to spend. So I feel like you can get the best of both worlds which is give them a a basic allowance, like a small amount of money so that they can make these choices about saving, spending, donating and investing. And if they want to earn extra money, then they can start, you know, they could do extra paid chores around the house if you were going to pay someone else to do something. And as they get older, they can do odd jobs like babysitting. And, you know, once they become teenagers, they can get their first real job. So I think even young kids, like if they go above and beyond, you might want to pay them a little extra just to give them that sense of earning money.
0: Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, that's very Canadian of you, right? Like you start with a base (laughs) level of income and then incentivize the rest. But it is it is what real life is, right? So, I mean, as these kids get older, I mean, the next age bracket you had in the in the book was nine to 12. So at this point, they are moving into maybe babysitting or Mm -hmm. a little bit of yard work or these kind of odd jobs that they can do. And maybe their motivation level is a little bit different because now they're at the age where they're starting to recognize other kids with toys that they want to have, right? So maybe that is a bit of an incentive for them. But okay, so let's talk about kids age nine to 12 now. At this point, are you starting to talk about that giving and that savings in a greater capacity or where kind of do you fit that along in uh in your plan yeah. like as I said you're I, like I have come up with
1: ways to talk to your kids about all five pillars at every age but obviously as you've pointed out at different stages things are going to be more crucial or important to talk about or just more um I don't know practical or or doable so like for example sharing um when your kids are really little you can get them to help Uh, gather their old toys and clothes and donate them you know put them in one of those boxes in the community that give to people in need when they're a little bit older um, they may come with you to do some kind of like volunteer project as a family so my daughter and I used to volunteer at soup sisters making soup for women and children living in shelters or volunteering it out of the cold like a soup kitchen so um, which is slightly different things so there's different ways Um, And then when they're in high school, there's so much fundraising going on in school. Uh, Either you're raising money for the school or at the school for things like United Way. So at different stages, like it just like the way you execute it is a bit different. But just I think starting getting them to
0: think beyond just themselves and about giving back can start really young. That's great. So do you have any favorite tips or any maybe feedback that parents have come back to you after reading the book and after having their own experience applying it? as they've gotten older, like maybe let's specifically we haven't really talked about the age 13 to 17 or even 18 to 21. So mm-hmm. this is the big, they're teenagers now, they're rebellious, they have their own ideas, <laughs> you're trying to teach them things, they're pushing back. What kind of feedback have you gotten from parents? And are there a few kind of top tips that really seem to hammer yeah. home for a large number of your readers?
1: I think the book has motivated some parents to open up the right kind of a- bank account for their kid so when your kids are young they can have a youth account which is specifically designed for young savers in that there's very low or no fees whatsoever on the other hand you don't earn very much interest but it teaches your kid about banking and um you know they get a debit card when they open up a youth account and as you said they're more independent they're going out with their friends a bit more um so just getting to that stage is Um, I think a lot of parents have found that helpful. And then um, just going over how to set like a really simple budget, like giving your kids more responsibility uh, for how they budget their money. Like whether if maybe you start to give them their allowance monthly instead of weekly when they're a teenager, because they have to learn how to manage it over a longer period of time, Um, getting them to track their spending at that stage, uh, using, you know, having a very simple easy budget that they can follow. So I think some of those tips for parents were were really, really helpful. Um, in the older chapters, some of the planning around going to university, like how you have to start planning for that early, what the different sources of funds are for post-secondary education, you know, the RESP count, uh, the ins and outs of how that works. Again, managing a more comprehensive budget when you're living on your own at university and you're paying for, you know, tuition and books and fees and extracurricular and your rent and everything. So I think um, some of the tools and resources in the book have really helped parents with that stage. And and I know that parents often give the book to their older kids, like teenagers and emerging adults, to read themselves. Because even though it's written for from a parent's perspective, it's very easy to interpret what I'm saying and applying it directly to yourself if you're at that stage.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I would imagine you're an advocate of RESPs as well, right? Any yes. Anytime yeah. there's money available uh, from the government to put into a savings plan for your kids, why not, right? Like there really is not a lot of downside there. And if it can minimize what your child has to do later in life and minimize hopefully student loans, right? Because my goodness, exactly. that can be that first big introduction to debt. And they can be sizable depending on, you know, how prepared... The family is as the student goes into post-secondary.
1: Yes, I think the average student comes out with around $23,000 of debt in Canada. Um, And as you say, Christine, if you start an RESP early, and this is all in the book, um, the mechanics of how it works, the government's essentially matching your contributions up to 20%, up to a fixed amount per year. But it's basically like a guaranteed return on your money. You can't get a guarantee like that
0: in very many places oh sure who doesn't want to earn a free 20 percent right and to know that it's coming from the government right that's that's a great incentive I think for parents even on a limited budget to be able to to do that to be able to save for them
1: and even if you're not on a limited budget like anyone who's thinking their kids may go to
0: you know post-secondary
1: it's really worth looking into starting an RESP early because it can grow over time tax-free when the money comes out um Any income and growth is taxed in the students' hands and there's, so that's usually at a very low rate or it's not taxable at all because of other tax credits that they have. So it's really a great solution for families when they're planning, you know, as long as they can, you know, it's about saving, having the discipline to save the amounts to put in the RESP. So, and that's, again, something that you want to model for your kids, right? Delayed gratification, setting goals, having a detailed plan and working
0: it those are good tips. So let's talk about that first job. So this is the first time really in a child's life where you're not the source of income for them. It's really that feeling of they're going out and doing it For themselves, and there can be a lot more of, "Hey, mom, you know, I don't want your input on this. I earned this money by myself. You know, not raking your lawn, but but I was, you know, sweating it out a little bit to get it. So, have you seen that there's kind of an attitude change for kids as they're getting into that point, or do you find that it's helpful to kind of maybe talk them through their first pay stub or something along those lines?
1: Yes, all of the above. Like nothing teaches um, a teenager the value of a dollar. Like working, putting in a hard day's work. And I mean, I know from my own kids who worked in, in the summers, in offices, in restaurants, doing, you know, all different jobs. And, you know, Lauren, my media marketing manager, always talks about how she worked at Noodlebox. She's from B.C. Um, she had a lot of different jobs, too. Paper roots. Paper routes. When you work hard for that money and you can almost do the math with I want to do this and it's gonna cost X and I know I'm gonna have to work for this many hours in order to make X. Um, it really is a very different uh exercise. In is it worth it? Is this a need or a want? Do I really need this or would it just be nice to have when it's your money? It just hurts in a whole different way. So I think getting to that stage where they're really working, they have a boss, like you said, they're getting a paycheck. So yes, definitely sit down and talk to them explain um why their gross pay isn't the same as what they're actually getting on their pay check their net pay there is a great illustration in the book of of what a paycheck looks like and the things that we deduct here in Canada like Canada pension plan and employment insurance plus income tax so very important because uh, it's complicated like they you know I don't even know if you get a physical pay stub anymore it might all just be online so, You may have to sit at the computer when you look at this, but very important that they understand. And then, you know, if tax was withheld and they're 16 and they're not making any other money, then most likely they're going to get a refund. So you have to file a tax return. And that's like a whole other teachable moment.
0: But that's exciting, right? I mean, the idea of getting money back and, of course, yeah. explaining how that works and why they're getting money back and whether or exactly. not that's a good thing. But at least there's, um, there's that initial kind of excitement around filing those tax returns for the first time. So mm-hmm. last, last comment here before we wrap it up. Uh, the wisest investment. We love the title. Why is teaching kids about the money, in your opinion, the wisest investment you can make?
1: Well, thank you. I actually like the title a lot, too, and and it was new for this version of the book. Um, I think teaching your kids to be responsible, independent and money smart for life is probably what every parent wants for their kids. They want their kids to be happy and successful. And I think having that foundation in uh, personal finance and, and being financially literate really is the wisest investment a parent can make. It's investing in your kids, in their well-being, and their future ability to um, have and do the things that they want in life. So, I mean, I think people, you know, if you were to Google what's the wisest investment, you're going to get things like your investment portfolio, you know, owning your own house, going to university. But I would argue that it's teaching your kids
0: about money. You mean it's not Bitcoin? (laughs) Sorry, I had to. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So thank you very much, Robin, for coming on the show with us today. Pleasure. If people want to find you, how can they do that? And where can they find thank your you. book? Right. So uh, I think the easiest thing to remember is thewisestinvestment.com.
1: That's the book's website. And actually, if you go there, you will see the um, a self-assessment tool that I created to help you discover what kind of a financial role model you are. So if you're interested in that, you can find it at the wisestinvestment.com You can sign up for our monthly newsletter. And there's also a link to where you can buy the book. So it's essentially Amazon, um, Apple for the ebook. It's not actually available in books in physical bookstores. So in bulk from us or on
0: Amazon. Well, thank you again, Robin, for your time. We really appreciate having you on the show. And thank you again for being our first guest and everything right. that comes along with that, eh? But, My um, pleasure. Absolutely. I'm honored. I really am honored. Thank you for having me, guys. That's great. All right. We are going to sign off for now. So as always, until next time, take care and all the best.